You're listening to Inside the Outdoors, presented by People for Bikes and the Outdoor Industry Association, where we discuss the latest market trends in outdoor recreation. And now, here are your hosts, Kelly Davis and Patrick Hogan. Hey, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of Inside the Outdoors. I'm your host, Patrick Hogan. In this episode, Kelly and I challenge the notion that a bike rider, a through hiker, a snowboarder, or any other outdoor recreation participant can be defined by their participation in an individual activity. We'll explore the efficiencies gained by approaching outdoor participants with a more comprehensive view of their outdoor recreation activities and lifestyle choices. Let's get into it. I'm a huge hockey fan, which is weird because I'm from Dallas, but the Stars moved there in 93 from Minnesota. And in the 90s, one of the players on the team was really good friends with Dimebag Daryl. And so Pantera did the Dallas Stars intro song. So whenever they're like coming down the tunnel, just have Pantera blasting through the arena. Um, And when they (laughs) score a goal too, it's like, it's a lot of fun. It's a high energy thing. And it's just like a fun piece of trivia. Like Craig Ludwig was friends with Dimebag Daryl in Dallas back in the day and and Pantera did the music. It's all about relationships, everything. It's all about about relationships. Mm -hmm. And the, um, the crossover between the Dallasite who's into hockey and uh, someone who likes rock or metal or, or like whatever category you want to put it into someone who can appreciate Pantera. Um, that Venn diagram, I think, has a lot of overlap there in the middle. I think it does. I was I was seeing it in my head. It's an extreme sport. Like, yeah. Eh, yeah, it's not. That makes sense. I mean, it's a it's a pretty intense sport. Hot, lots of contact, moves quick. Oh, I love hockey. You don't have to sell me on it. I played hockey for a long. I played hockey until I graduated high school. Yeah, ah, it's one sport I don't think I ever played. No. Well, it's it's good. It, it gave me a like a handful of concussions. So I, I you know. I found those in other places. I was lucky enough to, you know, to unearth my treasure of concussions and snow sports in running, in bike. I mean, it's a good thing my head's tiny, right? (laughs) Or it probably would have been broken by now. Yeah, I only got one good concussion cycling, but it was the day I got a GoPro. It was like, man, I don't know. It must have been 2009 or 10, but our shop started carrying GoPros. And I was like, oh, hell yeah, we're going to go yeah. mountain. Like a handful of us were going out to this like um, ranch where a guy had built some single track stuff. And I was like, I'm going to do some crazy cool stuff with this GoPro. And the footage is going to be awesome. Blew right off the trail into a creek bed. And like, you can you can hear the camera pop off my head and go bouncing down the dry creek bed. And go, ding, 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 ding. Well, I want to see what it looked like when it bounced down there. Because I think that footage deserves some Friday fail exposure. That calls for some Friday fail exposure. Seriously. Yeah, I'll, I'll share the video. It's um, It was dark. It was night riding, which is also one of the reasons why we, we shouldn't have been doing it. But yeah, you go we ahead were and young and dumb. You make yeah, it. yeah. But you can you can like hear me heaving and just like <laughs> that sort of breathing when you've had the like wind knocked out of you, you know. Um, and then my buddy's like, sir, I was the fourth in, in a group of four, and then they circle back. Oh I my think god, we call that like the right? dinosaur orgasm, you know, the oh <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh everyone who's had that happen to them knows exactly the sound we're talking about. Oh yeah. Ugh, hurts. I me. like the the oof sound when you hit the ground. That's you know, <laughs> my favorite is hearing that out of your own body and going, Who made that sound? <laughs> <sighs> That's good. Yeah. So thinking about crossover between hockey fans and Pantera fans, let's talk about 
Venn diagrams that are more closely aligned with our roles at OIA yep. and PFP. Let's talk about crossover participants in outdoor rec and how we can like just provide more context to understanding who's doing the activities, how we can talk to them, where they are, what they're interested in, what motivates them. Why is it important for us to consider like a more holistic view of an outdoor rec participant as opposed to just narrowly defining someone, putting them in a silo? Because they're all the same people. I mean, if this answers, this is my yeah. favorite topic, as you know. They're all the same people, right? And they're not using your stuff, you know, your product only for a specific little thing. They're using, if, you know, let's say you make stove. People are using their stove all over the place, whether they're camping or like a camping barbecue. Stove. They, you know, they went for a run. They're hanging out at the trailhead. I mean, you've got to think of, of people as you know, multifaceted, you know, multiple activity participating human beings that are getting experiences out there. You know, it's yeah. maybe it's, it's, you know, it used to be we had lifestyles, right? And this is sort of pre web to social media when you'd be, you could be a snowboarder. And if you were a snowboarder, that meant a whole bunch of things, you know, to what kind of music you were likely to listen to, how you were likely to dress, who are you, you going to hang out with? You know, what kinds of topics did your public discourse generally take? And I mean, that used to be the case. But now, you know, there really aren't too many lifestylists left. It's it's yeah. unlikely that you're just into one thing. You know, everybody's sort of into the experiences. So it's very, it's very seldom that you're going to find someone that just runs. And that's the only outdoor activity they do. I mean, it's more likely yeah. that you're going to find someone that hikes and skis and bikes and runs and camps and fishes and paddles and does a whole variety of things. And one of the things that I want to do, and, and you were talking about priorities in a prior podcast, and I was, mm -hmm. and I was a little bit shamed because I'm like, yeah, you know, sometimes I might, I might have my priorities a little wrong. But in this case, one of the things that I really would like to do with the participation data is, is boil it down using either just general cluster analysis or conjoint and see if we can find like clusters of activities that people commonly do. Like, I think that there's a, this is my hypothesis. I think there's a group of people out there that bike and run and hike and paddle and camp. And they do all of those things with fairly regular frequency. And they often do them on top of each other during each other, right? It's not, you know, they're camping and, you know, they're, they're hiking and. Yeah, and well, so, and they're also using some of those same products. They're using the same tech shirt or whatever. They're using the same uh, sunglasses for most no of that stuff. Like Sometimes the same shoes. We asked, so we had one, we have one survey where we asked customers when, you know, how often they use their running shoes when they're not running. And it yeah. was something like 60% of the time people are wearing their running shoes. They're not running. Really? Really? It's too funny. <laughs> yeah. I'm precious with my running shoes because I like to extend their life as long as possible, but then they become yard work shoes. Yeah. You and, me, you and me both do that, except... I tend to keep my running shoes for walking and running and, mm -hmm. and for trail. Um, and when they retire, they, they get turned into, um, to yard work shoes. But yeah. what I, what I use on a casual basis, I wear my skate shoes. That's my casual shoe. <laughs> and I, you know, it's just, it's perfect for everything for me, but imagine that, you know, skate yeah. plus hike plus walk plus run. Plus, plus lifestyle. Like we, yeah. we talked earlier in, in another episode about, using not using um we talked in an earlier episode about how some outdoor lifestyle brands are are used by consumers to just sort of 
like build up their persona as someone who is an outdoorsy type of person, even though it is a super expensive Canada goose jacket that may never actually see extreme temperatures. It's cool. Who cares? Yeah, exactly. It's cool. And who cares? Except that those folks who are trying to sell those products to people need to care about like what they're actually using it for and, and understand that holistic picture of who are they? Why do they want to do this? Like what other activities are they doing? What motivates them to get outside? What, what drives them to our, our brand or our particular product? Yeah, that's, that's all super important. It is. I mean, there's so many ways to parse the market. And when I say that, you know, I'm, I'm going to use it, this example. I was talking to somebody from media today about the luxury market in outdoor and, mm-hmm. you know, what we think, what we thought would happen with the luxury market. And so I just did a quick perusal of the data to find out what, what activities people who make a lot of money are most likely to participate in. And it was, it's sort of a fascinating list. You know, it runs, it's, there's some expected little categories there, like sailing. That's one of the categories. Yeah. Um, Kayaking also surprisingly means wealthy. Snorkeling of all activities, the wealthiest of activities. Yeah, Yeah, that makes, I mean, that seems like a cruise ship excursion sort of thing. Exactly. Well, it was actually the, the income level in snorkel was actually higher than it was in scuba. Really? Go frigate. There's a lot of talking about crossover. There's a ton of crossover between snorkel and scuba, but we'll leave that off. It appears that people that are on luxury vacations are more Mm -hmm. likely to go snorkeling than they are to go scuba diving, which makes sense. Yeah, it's safer. You don't need special training to go to snorkeling. You know, you don't don't need to find out about the bends when you're snorkeling. You can go to Hanama Bay. You can see all the cool stuff. Also, things like, here's another one that surprised me. And not, and this is, this is just sort of a, huh moment wake surfing also leans very very wealthy i guess wake you need surfing. a boat right you need a boat yeah you got a boat you have to have a boat that's just for wake surfing i mean like you got to like tune it differently because it's got to just like drag its butt through the water and create that huge wake that sort of curls and everything this you're all not, sounds like stuff not, that costs a lot of money so you're it's not a fish and ski no 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 <laughs> it's a wake surfing boat but you're creating a wave right yeah i mean damn I can't wait to see surfing take off with all the wave pools that are going up in the Midwest. But we'll, well, talk, it, we'll talk about that later because that's yeah, okay, what's fascinating okay. about that and crossover is that they're building these huge complexes that include things like ninja courses, like oh, top cool. ropes courses, skate parks, and wave pools. Why that's are we not cross, recording live from there right now? Yeah, that's I so killer. Be. Yeah. So it was, it was interesting to, you know, it's always interesting to look at crossover in different ways in the data too. I mean, I was mentioning that um, 55 and over that, that particular demographic increased by 14% over the past two years. Really interesting to see what they're doing. You know, the fastest growing thing they're doing is something everybody's talking about right now. Pickleball. Pickleball. Yeah. Pickleball. Everybody is talking about pickleball. Everybody's, Everybody's talking about pickleball, man. And all the old people are playing pickleball. Young people are playing pickleball too. Yep. It's not just. I know. I, I, I don't know what about it makes it cool, but somehow it's very cool. It is. It is on fire. It's so cool. I'm going to go play pickleball because, you know, I can't resist a good trend. I want to see what it's all about. It's got to be fun. No I've doubt. And what? It. It, and and if, if people are out playing pickleball, are they also out like going for evening walks now? Maybe. I mean, I want to look at that intersection. I want to look at all the things that all the different slices of demographics I can think of are doing, including things like looking at 
and demographics in in lower incomes and, and BIPOC persons in our in our participant base and see if we are we are um, actually increasing accessibility and increasing participation in doing so for those groups as we intentionally work on that, you know, from a policy standpoint and just from an awareness standpoint in the market. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, there are a lot of places where you can actually, you know, you can do good by understanding yeah. how much crossover participation is going on in outdoor. I mean, it, it's sort yeah. of astounding. And some of the clusters are going to be funny. Like, okay, imagine this cluster, pickleball, golf, walking for fitness, bird watching, wildlife viewing. That's yeah, got to I think that's an old cluster. I think that skews a little old, wealthy, uh-huh. retired. Um, well, so tell me about, when I'm thinking about that cluster, you know what I'm including in it? Road bike. Yeah, you yeah, for that, sure. Right? Yeah, I think you just described my dad. But but also like skydiving. He's not he's not that white bread. But uh, yeah, no, you're, you're <laughs> exactly right. I don't like know, man. Skydiving is pretty 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 solidly you know stuck in a demographic. I think. Oh oh, for sure. But I just mean it's not it's not as uh, as low energy as wildlife viewing it's, can be. Bird watching. It's a you know. spicy snack. That's huh? a spicy data snack. Yeah. Um, no, I, I I dig that, and I I've done a few studies um, in my career that have looked at like just sort of zooming out from an individual activity, like why, what motivates you to get outside? And we found that making use of those data to craft communication strategies and and marketing campaigns is so much more valuable than like a fish and wildlife department saying, hey, go fish for sturgeon because sturgeon are fun. Um, But instead being having campaigns that are focused on like creating time with the family and being social and, and, you know, starting or continuing traditions and really pulling on these motivations in a way that transcends an individual activity, but speaks to why someone is doing it and how that might translate to their participation in other activities. It's so much more helpful. And that's, again, one of the roles that we play in our trade associations is zooming out and providing that context to see across the other activities that you might not be seeing in your in-house research. Or if you don't have any research, you might not have access to information that like spans the outdoor market quite like that. Yeah, we did. In fact, I just did this specifically for cross-country. And we've got cross-participation data for cross-country in the PAC, the Physical Activity mm-hmm. Council participation yeah. data. But we wanted to we wanted to ask a specific group of cross-country skiers what they're planning on doing over the summer so that we could help our brands find them over the summertime. You know, they really, on if, if you've got basically a 120-day season, you know, that leaves a good portion of the year when you're not talking to your customers. And, and maybe if you understood a little bit better what they did when there wasn't snow on the trail, maybe you'd have an easier time finding them and engaging them, especially if you make things that maybe they're going to use as crossover equipment or your brand makes equipment for, let's say, you know, you're Lakey and you've sold, you've sold this customer poles for cross-country skiing. You've sold this customer poles for downhill skiing. Now you find out that they're hiking a bunch. Why aren't you selling them trekking poles? It might, yeah. it, it just, it just makes sense. But in cross country, when we 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 got a, a really nice sample, about 1,500 responses, so all cross country skiers, and um, we asked them what they plan to do in the summer, and 97 percent. This blew my mind because it was up from last year. 97 percent said they're going to be hiking, just hiking. 62 percent said they're going to be riding road bikes. I mean, a really big proportion riding road bikes. Yeah. 
which isn't a huge surprise. I mean, same muscle groups, you want to do those things, but you would think like cross-country skiers are uber athletes and they're hyper-competitive and they're always thinking about spandex and sweating. <laughs> so in addition to asking them all of, about all of their crossover activities, which was fascinating, and the report will be released later this week, just by the way, by the Cross-Country Skiers Association. But we asked them to describe themselves. So we gave them words like, like casual and uber athlete and um, competitive and intellectual yeah. and casual. The, the top three words that they chose to describe themselves just as people, it blew me away. Casual, intellectual, outdoors, outdoors, everything. They just want to be How outdoors funny. all the time. They do not yeah. see themselves the way that we think the, that the market thinks they want to be seen. Yeah. And so just having that information tells us a lot more about how not only how to reach that specific consumer group when the snow isn't falling and there isn't snow on the trail, but also just how to talk to them, you know, how to relate to them as people. Not And, and yeah, you know, they're consumers and you're trying to get them to buy your stuff. But I think it makes it easier for us to relate to people when we think about them as whole persons, not just as cross-country skiers or road cyclists or hikers. Right. Yeah. We're thinking about that person. And it's not just about selling them something. It's about really understanding who's in this market. You know, who are we? That's a question that that is a, is a very, very has a very, very long answer in outdoor. It's it it's not as simple as somebody who goes fishing. Yeah, we did a segmentation study at the end of 2020, trying to better understand the riders who came to bicycling during the pandemic because you know, we, we'd seen and heard from so many folks on the ground that cycling was up and we knew that sales were skyrocketing. And so we had an audience that we wanted to reach out to. And part of the study was this Max Diff experiment where we asked riders what the most motivating factor was and the least motivating factor when it came to spending time outside. And I'm going to read you a couple of these segments. Um, but if you forget that this is a bicycling study, you're going to understand how these all are, are like ubiquitous across outdoor rec activities, right? So the top three, stress relief or mental health, being outside and spending time alone could be any number of things, right? Okay. I've got questions. I already have hang on, questions. Hang on. I know. I'm sure you do. Um, another segment, socializing with friends and family, exercise and health, being outside, right? Can you read to me all of the options? Exercise and health, being outside, stress relief and mental health, just for fun, relaxation, maintaining an active lifestyle, a sense of freedom, socializing with friends and family, spending time alone, the thrill of the ride, a sense of achievement, and protecting the environment. And we also had like an other where folks could write in, but it was all yeah, just recoded back into that other stuff. That's exactly what they always Folks do. just want to be special. Yeah, you, well, you and I are, have, have analyzed enough surveys to know that that pretty much always yeah. happens. But, but if we if we look at those segments, like it it transcends cycling. Like, of course, someone who is interested in cycling for the sense of freedom, the thrill of the ride and socializing with their friends and family is also probably bombing down a mountain on a snowboard, too. You know, I'd hope so. Is it is it was it a checkbox or was it a rank or could they choose it, all that applied or just it was, three? It was max diff, right? So it's like the most motivating and the least motivating oh, factor. You see, you see five of those options at once. And then I think you saw that experiment seven times with the randomization of those five that appeared. Okay. Um, and then we ran HB analysis to create our six different segments. Um, 
And I, it, yeah, we'll, um, this is available on people for bikes website. This is the COVID participation study. It's a cool study. And, uh, there, there's a lot of great data snacks in here that can be pulled out pretty easily. Ah, see, I've already got you now. Now that data you're snacks. using data snacks. I've, you know, I've, I haven't ever used MaxDiff for that. Um, the last two segmentation studies I did, one was in snow sports in 2016. Mm-hmm. And you can still get the book of personas that we created. Um, that did, it, we, we segmented each of the different categories um, into our five broadest segments. And we came up with things like, you know, the, the, what was the best one? I mean, it was like the, the, we got skier parents, like the skier dad, we got the weekend warriors. We got a whole bunch of segments in ski that unfortunately now, you know, since the pandemic have shifted plus the season pass um, has shifted behavior in snow sports quite a bit. And the last, the last segmentation project that I did was in general aviation, which was awesome, mm. right? Uh, we, had, we had things like the hangar guy, which is an old guy that just hangs out in his hangar all the time and has a bunch of flying magazines around and is always tinkering on his plane and doesn't fly that much. He gets about yeah. 50 hours of flight time a year. But it's always fun to do. And I, you know, I'm, I'm hoping that we get a chance to do it again in outdoor. Consumer View was a huge hit with our members, but that was also done in 2016 and has also aged out of out of validity. So yeah, we're looking to do it again. It's a lot of freaking work. I mean, most of the work is collecting the data too. So yeah, well, I should talk a little bit about how to use the raw participation data to do that. Yeah, two two things. Um, it, it's a lot of work to do a segmentation study. It also just takes a lot of magic. Like there, <laughs> it's one of those things that um, there's no truly right or wrong way to do a segmentation. You just have to know what to look for when you're reading the tea leaves and say, I I think these segments make sense. I think it really might be seven segments instead of six. And I think that, um, you know, I'm going to rerun this uh, and and like randomize it differently and I'm going to have a different seven. Um, and the other thing is, as soon as you complete a segmentation study, it's out of date. It It is... It is asking the folks in the room to raise their hands and walk to the corners of the room with which they identify the most. But as soon as you let them out of the room, it's it's never replicable. It's um, I'm, not to say that it's useless, but it's it's out of date. It represents a specific moment in time. Uh, but there's there's so much that can be learned from that. It's just to say that I want to do more of these, and uh, they're always needing to be updated. So higher, not higher. They always need to be updated. So. Let's do more cool research. Yeah, it's, I, I, you know, it is. It's fun. It is. It's a lot of work, um, and some of it is. Some of it is pretty soft. I mean, the mathematician <laughs> in, in me just, just like stands in the back of my mind and scolds me the entire time I'm doing it because yeah, it's funny. You, know, you get you can you can do you can do the math. You can do you know whatever conjoin or cluster you want to do um, in your analysis, and you know your things are going to still be vague. So yeah. it's going to be up to you and your marketing team to name segments, you know, and, and some of it has to do with how you're going to use your segmentation. You know, are you using it to attract participants? Or are you using it to attract customers? Are you using it to better understand the customers you do have and you're trying to get them to buy more stuff or engage more with your brand in some specific way? I mean, some of the questions that you can answer with segmentation are fairly specific. And in our case, for our industry, yeah. what I want what I want to do is I want to show that cross participation is a real thing. That there are some natural clusters 
a Krauss outdoor. And probably, I mean, just even more specifically, there are clusters in bike. Yeah. And yeah. there's a lot of cross participation in outdoor and there's cross participation in bike. I mean, I'm a good example. I've got every kind of freaking bike you can imagine sitting out in my garage. I'm just mad that I can't ride two at once, right? Um, <laughs> You're so, not trying hard I mean, enough. <laughs> I'll try and take a TikTok of that later. Somebody bet me that. But yeah, it's, it's it, I mean, and the data has, has to be constantly refreshed because trends yeah. change. And when we're in such a tr- uh, transitional time, like we are now coming out of the pandemic, wow, you know, it's all it's all black magic. And some of it's made mm-hmm. up garbage, if you want to be honest. Tr- you know, you try and stay pretty close to what you're seeing in the data, but then you've got to explain it sometimes in ways that yeah. aren't supported necessarily by the data that are more supported by a general understanding of people and and your industry. So yeah, yeah I guess that's where we earn our money. I would just add to that that, it's um you know I I said it's hard and there's a lot of luck and magic and stuff and and that also means that there's a lot of groups out there that might try to do this type of work and um you know like I I love working in outdoor I hope that I only ever work in outdoor um I think that outdoor rec is sort of special and when it comes to doing this sort of consumer research there's some folks that might try and sell this type of research that don't really understand outdoor rec and so if I'm gonna if I'm gonna like try and promote our work again at OIA and PFB, it would be that this is what we do. And and this is the function that we serve. And, and we're here to help you uh, make use of all the good research that's out there. I agree. And and not to, not to do this too often, but I'm going to refer to my favorite behavioral economist, Dan Kahneman, the first behavioral economist to win a Nobel Prize for his work, actually got me thinking about this a lot. Because, you know, there's in mathematics, you know, if you, if you can't measure it, then, you know, it really doesn't exist. But mm-hmm. when you're doing it, when you're doing something like this, the math is pretty soft. So, so you're trying to look at, at various variables that are created through self-reporting, which in and of itself is, is yeah. you know, of suspect value, as you mentioned. But the idea that, you know, our knowledge of, of the industry and how behave, pe- people tend to behave in our market and in outdoor spaces is is a valuable variable in the equation that we shouldn't discount. And you know, you know how if Dan Kahneman says it, then it must be true. So I'm sold. But the idea that we have knowledge and that some of that knowledge is is probably not we I can't articulate it in a quantitative way. Yeah. Um, nor apparently in a verbal way. But yeah, it's it's understanding the outdoor industry and actually being part of it. You know, I think yeah. you and I are pretty, pretty reliable customers in outdoor. And I'm some, <laughs> I'm kind of a unicorn when it comes to cross participation, mainly because I'm an old lady that still rides a skateboard. Right. But yeah, I mean, I think that that being in it and participating in it also helps in our understanding of it. And it helps us understand how we need to communicate that information out to our members. That's it. That was great. Awesome. I'm going to make, I'm going to make one more, um, like crossover, uh, like give another example here too. So we've talked a little bit about crossover between different, like big differences between whatever, um, snowboarding and cycling. Like those are two completely different sports, but crossover isn't just necessarily two completely different activities. We think of crossover and bicycling even as being, for example, like indoor cycling, whether that means you're in your basement watching your, yeah. We think of crossover participation existing even within activities. And so within cycling, we think of 
you know, we, it can be defined in terms of like indoor cycling, whether that's indoors in your basement on a trainer or rollers or whatever, or at a gym or orange theory or anything like that. And riding for transportation or commuting, like taking your bike to and from the grocery store or to and from the office. Like there's a certain amount of like familiarity you have with cycling. If you're an indoor rider, even if it's just riding at 24 hour fitness, like you feel comfortable enough on a bike. There's a lot of opportunity to understand who exists kind of in what um, bucket in cycling and how we can like take advantage of opportunities to get folks from one bucket to the bucket that you're interested in or sell them products that work in all of these different buckets in outdoor rec in transportation in indoor cycling. Um, there, It's just so imperative to think of like the whole consumer and the whole participant instead of just saying, this is our really narrow lane and we, the brand, are going to tell the customers what's cool and that's how we're going to sell our stuff. Uh-uh. Customers are going to tell you um, what they're doing, what they want to do and why they want to do it. And now like it's all been flipped on its head and brands are having to listen to customers and having to really understand um, what activities they're interested in and why they're doing all of it. Yeah, well, brands, you know, over the past three years have have gone fairly heavy into direct consumer. And yeah. it's a space that a lot of outdoor brands had never lived in before. They had sold directly into retail distribution. So the demographic they had to understand was the outdoor REIT, which was, you know, generally a fairly easy demographic to understand. Understanding today's consumer takes a lot of work and it's, it's constant work. Um, and if you're a brand that just got into direct consumer, you better believe you, you need to understand your consumer, not just as a consumer of your product, but as a person. I mean, mm-hmm. Sun Tzu was not wrong when he said that those with the best information win the battle and, and ultimately win the war. You know, the brands with the best information about who their consumer is and how they can engage that consumer, how they can relate to that consumer, are going to be are going to be better equipped to sell to that consumer every single time. I think a major theme across all these episodes is going to be you and I justifying our positions at at OIA and PFB and uh, just talking about why we love the work that we do and and how important it is to make use of the research that we provide our industry so that everyone can like make data driven decisions. You're exactly right. I mean, it, yeah, I mean, it's a it, passion. It's my passion. You know, when they go around, you always have to go around the table and the horrible icebreakers and talk about your passion. Um, you know, I've got passion for a lot of things, but when it comes to having the best information, that's, that's my real passion. I mean, yeah. I want to have the best information. I've always wanted to have the best information. I like making money, giving people the best information. <laughs> that's, I mean, I've been making yeah. money doing that since the eighth grade. I'm going to keep doing it. And I'm going to, I'm going to make sure that the people that get information from me win. So yeah, that's my justification. I've been making money um, working in the bike industry since the eighth grade. I got my first job at a bike shop when I was in the eighth grade, sweeping up and taking out the trash and then learning how to work on bikes and then all the way up to mechanic and service intake and all this stuff. Um, yeah, that's that's, that's awesome. what my passion is. Uh, yeah, I dig I it. it. It's been a long road. I'm much nerdier now than I, I was in eighth grade. I have a different skill set. I'm not a wrench. I'm a, a quantitative researcher, but the, the passion's still there. Yeah, I was getting paid to do people's homework you know, from the eighth grade on, basically, <laughs> or write their papers or, you know, whatever it took. And I, you know, I didn't care. So I made money. I did the, I did all original work. We're going to cut uh, this all out. And, uh, you know, at the end of that, to, 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 to make money during graduate school, I too worked at a bike shop. Yeah. <laughs> not, not it. as a wrench. I managed it. It was, but it was in Hawaii, right? And it was Island Triathlon and Bike. 
and it was awesome. And it one of my favorite jobs ever. So I don't know if I'm, I don't know if I'd be passionate about that again, but it sure was fun as hell. Yeah. And we sold, the, yeah, we sold so many bikes. Oh my God. <laughs> uh, well, Hey, I'm going to go ride my bike. So let's sign off. Right on. I was going to tell my story about why we sold more bikes than almost any other bike shop in the country at that time. And it was because of, guess what? Information. There you go. That's right. Whoever, whoever has the best information wins. And we knew when the, you know, the carrier groups were coming in. Yeah. And we had access, we had access to the pier. And, and basically we're on Hickam Air Force Base, which is attached to Pearl Harbor. So yeah, selling was easy, but it's all, it was, it's always been about information always. Yeah. And I'll, I'll make the same argument that I made in our last episode is that business as usual doesn't hack it anymore, you know? Yeah. Well, let's, let's, maybe we, we can do a, a podcast in the future about how we help our members be more innovative. Huh? Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. Thanks for listening to Inside the Outdoors, presented by People for Bikes and the Outdoor Industry Association. We'll see you next time.